Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Praise the Lord. I have a word for you today. How many are ready to hear from God? I said, how many are ready to hear from God? Praise the Lord. Jesus lived for how long? 33 and one half years. And the last three and one half years of his life left an amazing impact. Here we are two millennials later. And back then he would go into a place and the city would be stirred. It's like sticking a a poke into into a hornet's nest. Jesus would stir things up everywhere he went. It was always for the better, but Satan didn't like it. You always know you're doing the right thing when Satan gets angry with you. Amen? So you never want to fear the devil. Why? Because he fears you. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, has residence within you, and the Word of God says the moment we pray that prayer of repentance, that prayer of salvation, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, comes to live within us. And that means every breath we breathe, every step we take from the moment we wake up, we cause all of hell to tremble. They are worried that you will find out, I will find out, we will know who we are and the power of who lives within us. And once that rhema, that revelation happens, everything changes. We're no longer ruled by our circumstances. In fact, we begin to take authority over our circumstances in Jesus' name. And that's what Jesus did everywhere he went. And he only ministered for three and one half years, and look at what he accomplished. It's astounding. People who were desperate and hungry were drawn to him. And I honestly believe the church of Jesus Christ needs to do the same. Throughout this nation, around the world, we need to really become fervent and passionate again for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? You know, politicians aren't going to fix this world. You know, programs aren't going to fix this world. Not that there aren't good people that serve in various areas of politics, and, and there's not that there aren't good programs that are instituted and, 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 and positioned and, and help people. But honestly, our hope is not in a man and not in programs. Our hope is in God. And when the church gets back to that, that's when you'll see. I got saved during that whole Jesus revolution. The band that I was playing in during that time, I was a rock and roll guy. And when I got saved, I left that industry. And my brother and I, our whole band got saved. And we started playing for Jesus. And we were all over the country, North America, Canada, playing with all of the bands you saw, like Love Song. All those guys were friends of mine and still are to this day. And, and, and so that was a move of God that changed hearts. And when hearts are changed, lives are changed. And that's, that's what revival is. Revival is when people move from just being lethargic and just fulfilling a duty to where they fall in love with Jesus. How many love Jesus? Look towards heaven and just say, I love you, Jesus. Just tell them right now, I love you, Jesus. Three and one half years, he turned the world upside down. Two millennials later, he's still doing that. He's still in the business of changing lives. His compassion and mercy, the miracles he demonstrated all during that three and one half year period, turned the world upside down. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. The religious can't do that, but God can. Everybody say God can. Feeding the multitudes and even the authority to forgive sins and cast out demons. During three and one half 
years of life, he did what men and people could not do. What was really happening is what the Old Testament says when it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you have ever smelled, especially this time of year now, we're, come, we're in spring, the weather is becoming more cooperative, and all of a sudden maybe your neighbor is barbecuing, and you smell that aroma coming from their property over to yours. It causes you to want to climb the fence or knock on the door and say, could I just have a sample? Could I just taste and see if that burger, those ribs, whatever they're making, is really good? God wants people to taste and see Jesus through us. Taste and see. When Jesus did all that he did and more, people were tasting the goodness of God. His goodness, who he is. In the Greek, the word for glory, the glory of God is kabod. And it actually is defined as God's reputation. Do you know God has a reputation? God's glory, his reputation is what? Well, I have a reputation, God says, of healing the sick. I have a reputation of meeting every need. I have a reputation of setting the captive free. I have a reputation of bringing goodness and mercy so it can follow you, as David said, all the days of your life. God has a reputation, and it's good. And when Jesus, for three and one half years, ministered on earth, people were tasting and seeing his goodness. Praise the Lord. But there were also some, even after they tasted, even after they saw, they had limits. They decided to go only so far with their faith. They were content with the title of my message, almost. Almost. That's a scary word. Almost. I almost got married. I almost got healed. I almost got that job. I almost won the race. Almost. Almost takes you so far, but then there's a limitation, there's a barrier, there's a stopping point. How many of you believe that God is more than almost? Amen. He is the God of so much more. In fact, what's, the, what's one of his names in the Hebrew? El Shaddai. The God of almost. No, the God of more than enough. Are you hearing me? <laughs> the Lord just gave me that one. He is more than enough. Almost will never be enough. So don't be content to live with almost. And today I want to address that. Today I want through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the written word, really bring revelation that will show you how to move beyond almost and step into El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. And we're going to do this by looking at a man in the book of Acts by the name of King Agrippa. He was a descendant of King Herod, the king of Jerusalem. And now he was serving as the king of Jerusalem. The apostle Paul, just like Jesus, because he was doing what Jesus did. He was preaching the gospel, deliverance, salvation. Miracles were happening when he prayed. And the devil didn't like it. So he got arrested. It's, it's interesting that whenever these arrests would take place with Paul, it was always the religious leaders. Religious people don't like the power of God. 
you hear me? Religious people don't like when results happen with others in ministry and they're not seeing any results in their ministry. I've always said this, results speak. Those of you who serve men and women in corporate America, if you're looking to hire someone to a position that's under you, the candidates and the perspectives that you're, you'll be examining, resumes that you'll be going through, you're looking not only for qualification, but results. You want someone that can do the job. Results speak. At times, one of the worst nightmares of a corporate executive is when they have people under them that are just doing enough. They're doing almost just enough to get by. They're not really exceeding expectations and goals. They're doing just enough, and they're in that position, and within you, you're thinking to yourself as a superior, if only I could work them out of that position. So the religious leaders during the life of not only Jesus, but also the Apostle Paul, they were the same way. They weren't doing anything other than bringing glory to themselves. I say it this way. They had a glory be to me mindset. You ever hear people start bragging and they start talking about, uh, you know, especially spiritually, there's a way to give testimony, which is boasting in the Lord. And then there's a way when it's spiritual pride, you're boasting in yourself. That's a glory be to me mindset. So the religious leaders, they were all caught up in the pomp and circumstance. They love their position. They love their look. They love their city. They love the temple at the expense of loving the temple brick and mortar more than God himself. They reduced the kingdom of God to a place rather than God himself. Do you know, Scripture says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God has his throne in heaven, but Scripture also says the earth is his footstool. Don't mess with God's footstool. So here these religious leaders, just like with Jesus, they were upset with Paul. So they brought false charges against him, stirring up a riot in the city. Brought him before the king. They wanted to deal with this nuisance, this nemesis, from their perspective, once and for all. And so with that in mind, a little background, let's look at Acts chapter 26, verses 27 through 29. All of the charges had already been made against Paul. And now Paul has an opportunity to speak. And rather than defend himself, look at what the conversation consists of. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether. See the connection. Almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Paul didn't defend himself. He just preached the gospel. He knew he had done no wrong. In fact, afterwards, when all was said and done, Paul knew he wouldn't get anywhere at that point as far as having the conviction removed. So as a Roman citizen, he was not only a Jew, he was not only before his conversion on the Damascus Road, a, a Pharisee next in line to become the high priest over Israel. 
But he was also a Roman citizen, so he appeals to Rome in hope that there would be a fair, fair trial on his behalf. So here he is having this dialogue with King Agrippa. King Agrippa, a follower of Judaism, and he did believe because we see that in the scripture I just read. But then after appealing for a trial in Rome, during this transition, this is when Paul challenges King Agrippa with a question. And honestly, we should challenge ourselves with the same question as well. Paul really was saying, what do you believe? My first point. What do you believe? All of you who are here in this auditorium, those of you worshiping online, what do you believe when it comes to God and to Jesus Christ? In Acts 26, 27, Paul says to Agrippa, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? So what Paul was doing was, was really wisdom because what he was de dealing with was addressing his relationship, Agrippa's relationship with God. He was a follower of Judaism. He was an avid follower. That means he knew the Torah. He knew the law. He knew what Scripture had to say. And that means if you really are an avid follower of Judaism and you believe the Torah, you believe the words of the prophets, you believe the law of, of, of Moses, then you need to give an honest look at the prophecies regarding Messiah in your book of study, in your book of worship. Paul made it personal. He didn't try to convince Agrippa. All that he did was share truth and leave the results in God's hands. When you look at the life of Jesus, his life, including his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all of them, they were no secret to Agrippa. Remember, this is, this is a couple decades after the resurrection of Jesus. And so there was a, a new king over Jerusalem. Political regimes, religious leaders had changed. But Paul knew that Agrippa had heard and was familiar with the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knew the story. Paul knew he knew the story, but still he reiterates it, not only for the king, but also for everyone in the king's court that was listening. He took advantage of what Satan intended for evil and used it to glorify God, to share truth, share the message of hope, deliverance, salvation with all of those people gathered there. And when Paul finished speaking, when you look at Scripture, I'll read it again in a moment, it was obvious that King Agrippa's heart was moved. He was touched. Acts 26, 27, Paul says, I know that you do believe. So this man was stirred. What was it? Agrippa was having a God moment. It was like what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus when the Lord knocked him off his horse spoke to him as thunder. Agrippa was having a divine appointment, a divine moment, a defining moment. And something inside of him clicked. His eyes were open, and he knew what Paul was speaking was truth. Have you ever had that? I remember growing up, I, I had become very embittered towards churches. And... Uh, you know, again, I was a musician, so I didn't really have the church look. 
And I remember one incident in particular when I really began to feel a desire to seek God. My mother had been praying for me for years. So it was a Sunday night, because I could never get up in time for a Sunday morning. Because after you're playing music all Saturday night, you get home four or five in the morning. You're tired. But there was a Sunday night service. I decided to go to it because my heart was yearning for something. Sat through the sermon. I don't remember a word that the preacher said. But at the end, when they began to sing the invitational, just as I am, just as Billy Graham had at his crusades for many, many years, something inside was, was telling me, go forward, go forward. But instead of responding... I was like Agrippa. I decided to embrace almost, but not crossing the finish line. I gripped the pew in front of me. My knuckles turned white. Finally, it came to an end. I quickly got up from my seat, went outside, was walking towards my car. A woman runs up behind me and says, young man, wait a minute. And I've shared this before, but I'll share it again for those who are newer and especially our large viewing audience as well. She said, we don't want people like you at this church. Please don't come back. I said, I can, I can oblige you. I'm good with that. I left very embittered, a religious spirit. See, that woman saw a hippie rock musician, but Jesus saw a preacher of the gospel. Amen. Religious spirits don't see truth. They don't see potential. They only see what they want to see. If it doesn't fit their mold, their agenda, we don't want you. Thank God he wanted me. Amen. Amen. A year later, he came to me again. First Sunday in January, 1974. You've heard it, but I love to talk about what Jesus did for me. Because everything I have now began at that moment. And I got saved. Sitting in a Sunday night service again, but a different church. One that wasn't religious. One that was in the midst of revival and loved Jesus. It was during the whole Jesus revolution. And that whole Jesus movement had just baptized that church as well. In Ellicott City, Maryland. And when I sat there, don't remember a word the preacher said. But I remember God was there. And he touched me. And I went from almost to all together. I crossed the line and said yes. That's where Agrippa was. God was speaking to this man. Do you know there will be times even after we know the Lord that God will really grip our hearts? Maybe he'll tell us to do something. Maybe he'll say, would you share your faith with this person? Will you give this individual some money? You wake up in the middle of the night. Will you pray for so-and-so? Don't take those promptings lightly. Be ready. Be available. Be more than almost enough. You'll find that when we say yes to the things God says, yeah, there'll be seasons when it's inconvenient. But last time I read my Bible, the cross was pretty inconvenient. Don't you think? But yet he did it because he loved us. Even when we didn't love him. 
That's why Paul did what he did. That's why he was willing to use being arrested as an opportunity for the gospel. Here he did his part and left the rest in God's hands when it came to King Agrippa. Agrippa, do you believe? Do you really, really believe? Then Paul took another step. I know you do believe. I know God is speaking to your heart. I'm paraphrasing, but this is what is suggested in the gospel or in the epistle here. He knew that God was prompting the heart of this king. When you grab the heart of a king, you change a nation, you change a city. God, that's why he tells us, Paul said, pray for those in authority. I know some people, you struggle to pray for people in authority in this nation. But what would happen if God got a hold of the worst of the worst in leadership positions? What would happen? It'd be like Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor, a killer, a murderer, who then became the greatest of all the apostles, wrote over half of our New Testament, his epistles. It's amazing what God can do when we pray with faith. Amen? Amen. So that's what Paul, Paul was living his own words. He was sharing the gospel with someone who was in authority over him. And then Agrippa's heart, he felt it. Have you ever had those moments again when you have felt it? Maybe you're feeling it right now in this service. Don't ignore those moments. You see, I call these moments, I refer to them as a divine persuade. Like when Agrippa said, almost thou persuade me to become a Christian. See, when God speaks, there's always a greater purpose. Something that goes beyond a temporal moment to an eternal moment. This was life and death. I don't mean just in the natural, but spiritually for this great king. Do you know we all will live for eternity? Did you know that? The question is where are you going to spend it? Man was created to live forever in male and female gender. That's the word of God. When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, there's no record of death. That means it would go on and on and on and on. It wasn't until the fall that there was an ending point, a finish line for life, death, and then stepping into eternity. That's why Jesus came. He came so that every human being, from Adam to the end of time, created in his image. Once they cross the finish line called death, called death, which is a result of the fall, that they could know for certain they would spend eternity with the Lord. If not, the only other alternative is very undesirable. An eternity in hell? Hell's real. It's not... Grecian golden mythology. It's real. Do you know Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven? That shows the concern Jesus had for people not to go there. People say, why would God send anyone to hell? He doesn't. People choose it. If they reject Jesus. So Jesus came and endured 
the penalty of sin. He even spent three days and nights in a grave in the bosom of Abraham, that holding place. He endured it all so no person would ever have to go through that. So God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose that if they reject God's answer, God's great salvation, Jesus Christ. Look at Agrippa's response. He says in Acts 26, 28, Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. That's a tragic statement. He had already made up his mind now. He was like me in that church in 1973. He squeezed the pew. He pushed away the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I pray that maybe there was another divine encounter for this, this king later in his life. But at that point, he said no. He was only willing to go so far, but no commitment. So when he says, almost, you persuade me, he was saying, I came very close, but then I chose not to finish. I stopped short. I made my decision by not making the decision. Let me ask, does that describe your life? Not only spiritually with the Lord, but maybe in other aspects of what God wants for you. Do you know you can do a good thing, but it may not be a God thing for your life? There are a lot of people who say, well, Lord, I don't want to do this, but I'll do that. Well, God says, well, that is, is a really good thing. But this is my God thing for you right now in this season of your life. I don't want you to choose what you will or won't do. Let me choose, and then I'll lead you along the way. Everybody wants God's blessing. How many of you want God's blessing? David said it in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In other words, goodness and mercy, God is good, right? His goodness is, is, is actually who God is. It will follow you. It will hunt you down. It will track you and overtake you all the days of your life. I want God to do that to me. Amen. Where's Craig? Goodness, hunt him down. Follow him. Track him. Overtake him. And then when you're done, do it again. David was saying that in so many words to us. But that all is coupled with obedience. Letting God choose and you doing the rest by his directive. The rich young ruler, he was an individual that wanted to serve God on his own terms. Comes to Jesus. After Jesus finished teaching, he says, Lord, what can I do to have this eternal life you speak of? So Jesus goes through the books of the law and thou shalt not, thou shalt this, right? And the young man, he smiles and he says, all of these I have followed from my youth up. He goes, but you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Scripture says the young man hit his hit, hung his head in sadness. Why? Because material possessions meant more to him than God. The Bible talks about where your treasure is, your heart is. Whatever you love most, that will take priority over your time, your finance, your decisions, what you do. What you don't do, there's a lot of things our jobs can take priority over God. 
Recreational activities, sports can take priority over God. Academia, all of those things are important and they're good. But if positioned higher than God, that's a problem. Because the devil wants to set us up for disaster. And if we take and position all these other things above him, we're vulnerable. Oh, there'll be a season you'll go through it. It's the life of Riley. I know I'm dating myself with that statement. But the life of Riley, everything is going wonderful. But then, without notice, at any given moment, the surprise hits, and it's as if your world comes crashing down. Rich young ruler, Jesus knew if he was really going to serve God the Father effectively, then there couldn't be any idols in his life. He couldn't even put material things. Don't let this world have any grip on your heart. That's what Jesus was saying. And the young man, rather than surrender and trust God, he hung his head with sadness and left the Lord. But as a testimony, good report. When God speaks, that word always resonates, especially in our hearts and minds. Theologians and scholars bring out that years later, after that confrontation, there was a new apostle who was added to the ministry and to the church. And his name was Barnabas, son of encouragement, who was very wealthy. And scholars and theologians bring out that that was the rich young ruler years later who couldn't escape the invitation of Jesus, surrendered, and did God make him live in poverty? No. God used the wealth that he had given Barnabas to establish ministry. He sold lands, and he was still blessed in the process, and he was able to be used of God in a very wonderful way. So thank the Lord he doesn't write us off when we go almost and not altogether, follow through by saying yes. But it's always better to say yes right when God asks. Somebody say amen. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache. Hallelujah. King Agrippa, he said he was almost persuaded, but then he stopped short. What will you say when you stand before Almighty God one day? What will you say, Lord, I was almost persuaded, but I, di I didn't commit my life to you? Or maybe, Lord, I almost made a commitment. Doesn't that count for anything? Lord, I came close, but I didn't cross over. Lord, I believed even though I didn't receive Jesus. Isn't believing enough? The Apostle James, he answers this in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. How many of you believe there's one God? Well, then James says, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Are demons going to walk the streets of gold? <laughs> Judas was one of the twelve. He believed but never received. And his ending shows us that. You can believe without making a commitment. Believing without receiving is almost, and that's never enough. 
Don't be content to live with an almost commitment. God is calling you. He's calling me. He is calling people to receive. To receive him. Believing without receiving is nothing more than an empty promise. Has anyone ever promised you something and then never showed up to make good on the promise? That's what believing is without receiving, an empty promise that's given. Let's go back to King Agrippa and look at Paul's response to him in Acts 26, verse 29. When Agrippa says, you almost persuade me, Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. See, Paul was saying here, believing is, is, is more than just going through the motions. Believing is receiving, and receiving is what brings salvation. Paul knew almost wouldn't get people into heaven. Good intentions, you've heard it said, the pathway to hell was filled with good intentions. That is prolific. It's true. Good intentions almost is not enough. That's why Paul used the word altogether with almost. That word altogether in the Greek is defined as to go beyond. So Paul said, I'm almost. And then I've gone beyond almost into a commitment with Almighty God. Almost and altogether. What was he saying? Salvation comes when you go beyond believing and you receive. The same word is used in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, the believers were all together in one accord. Now why is this significant? Because there was 120 gathered there, but how many gathered at the feeding of the multitudes? Thousands. How many followed him through the streets? Thousands. But yet, the only ones at that moment that were all together, that chose, made a decision to go beyond, were the 120. And it was the 120 that went beyond almost, that were filled and gave birth to the church that Pentecost day. No one else. Thank God the Holy Spirit spreads he just goes from person to person. He wants to be contagious through us, amen, just as there can be an airborne contagion. Well, we are airborne by the Holy Spirit contagions for bringing people to Jesus Christ. Couldn't you think of a better illustration, Pastor? Well, that's the one the Holy Spirit just gave me, so we'll settle for that. What am I saying? Be contagious. And when we're almost and all together, we go beyond. We become part of the 120. We become an apostle, Paul. Then Peter took it to the streets right after that Pentecostal encounter. And 3,000 were added to the Lamb's book of life. You see, almost, altogether, to go beyond. Believe and receive. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, as you, were, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The walk of faith is about believing and receiving on a daily basis. And by receiving Him, that enables us to walk in Him. 
Receiving him is what transforms our lives for the better. How many of you want to become a better person? Old habits fade away when we receive him. And the broken areas of our lives are restored. As I close out this message now, let me ask these questions. What would have happened if Jesus almost came to earth? What would have happened if Jesus almost lived a sinless life? Well, you know, I am son of man. You know, I'm only human. You were God and human. What would have happened if Jesus was almost crucified? Got up on the cross. I'm done with this. I didn't do a thing. This is unbearable. And it was. But he chose it. And he followed through. What would have happened if Jesus was almost raised from the dead? It's like when I preached on Ezekiel a few weeks back. The bones started to rattle. But they weren't alive yet. Flesh and sinew consumed and covered the bones. But the breath of life wasn't there yet. It wasn't until the bones were filled with life that there was a resurrection. And just because he was crucified, until he conquered death by resurrecting victoriously over death, it was still almost. But Jesus transitioned from almost Altogether, he went beyond when God the Father gave the command, Jesus, my son, come forth. And the stone that covered the tomb was rolled away. And he came out victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Almost and altogether. Hallelujah. That's just who our God is. So what am I saying? An almost life will never be enough. Don't be content. Well, I almost had my prayer answered. I, I, you know, there's others that probably needed it more. Don't believe that lie. If it bothers you, it bothers God. That's like saying, if you're a parent with children, that you prefer one child over another. God has no favorites. It would have been like my father saying to me, Craig, I'm going to take a gift that I have for you and give it to your brother Grant. Okay. God doesn't do that. What he does for one, he does for all. Think about it. People never remember the team that almost won the World Series. You remember the champions, but not those that were defeated. People never remember the golfer who almost won the Masters. I can go back and recount several years of master champions. But don't ask me to recall any that lost second place except one, Greg Norman. For whatever reason, I remember Greg Norman, the guy who always tried, but he never did it. The year I rooted for him, he came short. He almost, in overtime, I guess they, don't, they, they call it uh, whatever, dead, dead time, sudden death, sudden death. And he lost in sudden death. And people don't remember the student that almost graduated from college. 
Almost will never be enough. Did you hear me? Almost will never be enough. Don't settle for almost when you can have more than enough. Amen? El Shaddai, a God who is more than enough. I don't know about you, but I'm inspired. I may have been the mouthpiece this morning, but the Holy Spirit was the foundation and source. And He's encouraged me through this word. It's time to make a decision. It's time to readjust priorities. It's like Joshua said, choose you this day who you'll serve. Like Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom, His righteousness, and all these other things will be added. It's time to check priorities. Put them first. Move beyond almost to more than enough. God doesn't want you almost healed. He wants you healed. He doesn't want you almost saved. He wants you saved. He doesn't want you almost blessed. He wants you blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come and when you go. Amen? How many want that? How many want to be blessed? How many want to move from almost to more than enough? Then I want you all to stand right now. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God's hand will come upon you. But I'm also going to pray that you will say yes in your heart where control takes place. I'm going to ask you to place control from your hands into the hands of Almighty God and allow Him to begin to order your steps. Allow Him to begin to dictate your life. And He will take you from almost to more than enough. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in this room. You are in this place right now. And in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would baptize not only those in this auditorium, but Father, those who are watching online all over the world, I pray that you would come down upon them and you would saturate them and that there would be a changing of the guard. There would be a changing of control. That Lord God, they would move beyond almost and they would say, yes, give control of their lives to you. Not only believe, but receive everything you have for them. Thank you, Lord. There is a kingdom change today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. How many of you believe? Say, I believe. That's almost. Now, how many? want to receive all together more than enough then say I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior my Lord my King my Redeemer hallelujah amen it's funny when you get people to repeat things I was just worshiping when I said hallelujah but you guys were so good Man, the Spirit of the Lord is in this house. Do you feel Him? There's such a freedom. No restriction, no law, no religiosity. We want to honor the law of God because we love Him. I heard troubling news the other day. There was a preacher that said, very well known, we're no longer under the law, so we don't have to abide by those commands. And as a result, he has changed his stance on different issues of marriage that differ from scripture that's under the law not now my heart broke and I was angered at the same time because of all of the people 
who will be influenced in a negative way. We honor God's word. We live by his standard, not out of law, but out of love. Amen? Throw out the law, we might as well go out and commit every atrocity known to man. Because everybody's going to heaven. But thank God Jesus came. That's why his word's written. To remind us, when people try to change it, well, I don't see that here. Go back to the book. Amen. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.